Welcome to the PG Growth Planned Giving Podcast. Ed Sluga with you here on the PG Growth Plan Giving Podcast. Today we have pulled some of our podcasts from the archives because recently we've had a lot of discussions around donor engagement, talking to donors, asking for planned gifts, things of that nature. And we're finding more and more that individuals really do take a moment, a pause at this particular uh, time, and don't move forward as readily and as comfortably as you think they might. The reality is that we're good at engaging from a distance, but that meeting, that interaction, that one-on-one sometimes is a little bit more difficult for even the most experienced fundraiser to take on. So a couple of really interesting podcasts that uh, Colleen Bradley and I did around donor engagement, getting the first meeting, talking to donors for the long term, and really starting the dialogue and the relationship with the donor because that in and of itself is the most important aspect of what we do as fundraisers. That's true philanthropy, and that's true individual giving. So sit back. Please listen to both of these podcasts. There'll be a brief break between the two, uh, but I think that both ideas and both theories are really, really important and ones that we should all sit back and listen to. Thank you so much for listening to the PG Growth Plan Giving Podcast. Colleen, you know, oftentimes people are very concerned when they're first approaching a prospect. Mm-hmm. And that first discussion can, in some ways, and not to make this too dramatic, but break. make or break whether you're going to be able to engage that dialogue long term. So what are some things that you think about before you make that first meeting, have that first conversation with a po- prospect? I love this question because each donor is unique. Uh, I've been doing this since 1989, and I'm I'm always surprised and pleasantly and sometimes not so pleasantly surprised at, at meeting a donor for the first time. And you have to be aware that sometimes people can be grumpy. And so um, I try to, before I go and see someone, I try to be very open. It's just it's not my agenda. It's the donor's agenda. And what I like to do, and it may sound really silly, but this is what I do. I pretend that I'm a leaf floating down a river. I do a little visualization saying, I don't know where that leaf is going to end up, but let that donor be the river to, and I'm just going to flow with it. I I like to direct sometimes, but in the first visit, just let them go wherever they need to go because you will gain a lot of insights on what that donor's feeling, what the dreams of that donor is, what their family upsets have been. They might share that with you. And just let them feel or, or go in the direction they want to go in. I, In the first conversation, I'm doing 20% of the talking, if that. They're doing 80% of the, of the talking. I try to use open-ended questions that don't just have a yes or no answer, you know, like, how do you feel? You can't answer yes to that right? <laughs> or, or no. Yes. And, and it's, um, it's, an, it's an experiment, and it's an exciting experiment because you have no idea who this person really is. And so I'm, I'm very open to discovering who that person is. 
Good listening skills, as Jerry Panis uh, in, in the U.S. would say, uh, is the paramount virtue of all fundraisers. And I use the same kind of analogy, but I use it uh, meeting a friend for a coffee somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, after work one day. And, uh, you know, you know there's going to be a conversation, but you don't know which way it's going to go. And oftentimes you start with some points and start talking about something, and an hour and a half later when you're finished, you're in a completely different place. But the reality is is that's good. You've listened, you've responded, and maybe it hasn't taken you in the direction that you want to go, and your institution, let's be fair, wants you to get to, which is an ask at some point, and a commitment. But what you're really doing is moving along at the donor's pace as opposed to the institution's pace. Yes. This is about a dialogue with them. And I think that you understand that when you talk to donors, they want to move the way they want to move. At their pace. And, you know, to go back to the grumpy donor, um, I've had a couple of really grumpy donors. They were just, you know, not feeling well. Um, But by the end of that conversation, their mood was lightened. I felt I understood where they were coming from, and there was relatedness and empathy there. And so when you, if you can leave a donor call with them feeling good about what just transpired, whether you've made an ask or you've just made a, a, a really good impression, that is the impression of, that you want them to leave with, is that... The organization you represent has a good person, a person who can listen, a person who can relate and empathize. Yeah, it's funny. And all these things seem like common sense. That's yeah. the funny part. <laughs> yeah. It seems like, well, that's, of course, what I'm going to do. And I think uh, uh, a lot of experienced long-term um, major gift and plan giving uh, fundraisers understand that, that this is about that and it's common sense. But it's the first time you go out and it's the first yes. visit that you make with any donor to this day. That first contact is always, you don't know which way it's going to go, and you have to be ready. And absolutely, and even seasoned fundraisers like myself are nervous sometimes, right? There are very wealthy people in Canada, and meeting those very wealthy people, you're nervous for the first five minutes. That's okay to be nervous. It's all right. Absolutely, but and by the, we have to always remember that if we've gotten to that stage where they want us to come over... That's a really big bonus. They want to make a friend that day, and it's important to take that overture they're making to us, be open to it, and let that go. I like your analogy about the, the leaf in the, in the stream or the river. I yeah. think that's a good one. You've got to allow that to go. You know, Colleen, in this week's uh, tip of the week, we're going to talk a little bit about the management of a planned giving prospect list. But let's just reiterate something we've already said in one of these is, you really need to do some data mining and take your overall donor base and segment that down using some of the strategies that we have already discussed to make sure that you have a segmented, plan-giving prospect base that is manageable. Manageable means a size you can deal with. But once you have that, how do you manage that list when you're working on a list? Okay, so great question. I believe that managing your list is really another name for managing your donor conversations. How do you keep all those donor conversations in? You you can't keep them in your head. You can't keep them straight. So um, what I do is, number one, I look at the funnel. And I have to determine how many conversations I can manage, how many people I can talk to. 
plus all my other administrative duties, all my bequest administrative uh, duties, everything else. And oftentimes that can get in the way of those conversations, obviously. Absolutely, because, you know, bequest administration is the money coming in. Yes, sometimes right. it takes precedent over money that may can come, come in. in. Yes. So, um, but I want what I want to stress here is that figure out how many conversations you can actually manage. And you will know, you will instinctively know those donors who are going to take more t of your time than others. And I call them, they're the gravity pulls. They're coming down the funnel. And what you want to do is if they are taking enough of your time that they would be a really good qualified prospect yes right so you do what you want to be able to distinguish and discern is is that person taking up my time because they're lonely or am I furthering the plan giving process that they're getting closer and closer to being educated to make a plan gift yes absolutely and so um, the major thing of, of managing your um, lists is to build an expectancy file that's where I want them to come out the bottom of the funnel and be in an expectancy file so I can just steward those people mm -hmm, absolutely mm -hmm. so each conversation that I have with a potential donor should further pull the conversation down to an expectancy file or eliminate that person yeah so you have an exit for that person at some yes. point they're gonna exit from that prospect list yes and so and what you have to do is be cognizant of are they going to come down at the bottom of the funnel and into the expectancy file or just take them off the list and put them back into direct mail or whatever it is. And sometimes you don't want to give that person up, right? Because you just feel like, oh, I know if I could just do one more thing, but you know, it's not going to happen. So sometimes you have to, you have to let that, that prospect go. Absolutely. And what about tracking those, th that process? How yes. do you go about doing that tracking? There's lots of ways out there, digitally, paper, and in the digital world, of course, there's a lot of different ways. But what strategy do you use tracking that? I, I like to keep things simple. <laughs> and so I code them in a simple code of PG1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and those numbers mean something to me. So PG1 is an intention. They are really, really close. I have worked with those people. So they've come up from a five, maybe as a suspect. So, and a PG2 is I'm considering, I'm not sure, I have to talk to my family, my accountant thinks this is a crazy thing to do. PG3 is um, I've had a conversation with them. We have gone over all the different ways of making a plan gift, but they're just in the initial stages. PG4 is they've requested information and I've sent it out and I haven't talked to them yet. So I, and PG5 is a suspect. I know someone in the organization has come and said, this woman has really shaky handwriting. You should, you should talk to her, Colleen. So I like to keep it really simple, one to five. That's uh, great. Yeah, and, and that is simple. And there are lots of different strategies out there of, of coding them and keeping that in. And it's important to code them, obviously, in Razor's Edge. Yes. Uh, if you can, and to also track... Uh, the actions that you do take oh, within absolutely. Razor's Edge and, and, and do that regularly. It's a very powerful tool that way if you've got your, your pyramid that you're using or your ladder mm -hmm. and, and you're able to define that easily and then following that move from suspect all the way to expectancy, 
is one that's going to help you with your moves management. It's also going to help you with reporting and, and your experience. How long did it take this person? How long did yep. it take this person? What difference did it take? Absolutely. Right to that point is uh, when I code it, we always put a date in that was the first initial conversation. Yeah. So you know, okay, this person is now t- five years I've been talking to this person, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Okay, this isn't going as well as I hope. Or this person, it's taken five weeks, right? Be- depending on the donor circumstances. Dr. Ed Pierce said that so many times. Absolutely. If you, you know, I've had donors who have been notified that they're terminally ill. That process got speeded up very quickly. Yes. Right? So also I just wanted, just had another thought is um, for coding, I also do in the PG1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, I segment that down to publicly traded securities, an annuity, um, a trust, a will. So if I have PG1s dash wills, I can pull all those out of Razor's Edge, yeah. for example, and yes. say, oh, okay, I will just, something's changed. I need to send out a fact sheet to all my PG1 slash annuity donors because yeah. there's been new legislation. I can do that easily. Yeah. So in, in essence, we need to think about what we're doing. We need to put it into a process, and we have to kind of live by that process. And it doesn't matter what the process is necessarily. If we codify it and live by it, we're going to benefit from it, I think. Yes, and then you can evaluate it too. 